0: Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. George, Mack I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest. Oh, it's an
1: honour and a privilege. Thanks, Jules, for having me.
0: Oh, amazing. Okay. So let's start with what you do because it is fabulous. Tell me about you and your business.
1: Okay. So I run Sheba, which is an app essentially, and it's a rideshare app for women and children. Um, I guess we take men now too, who need their children transported. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a transport delivery option on demand.
0: It's absolutely brilliant. I loved it from the moment you came up with it. So the question is, why did you come up with that idea? Because it's like Uber for women, isn't it? But it's much safer and it's fantastic for taking – I was explaining it to my walking group yesterday morning. Right. <laughs> All about how it works. So, right. But I'd love to know, was there a moment that you just thought, well, stuff this, yeah. I'm going to make a change?
1: Look, I think I was both the the consumer and – you know, the, the deliverer of it at the the time when I conceived of it. So I I was newly divorced. I had four part-time jobs, you know, working very bitsily like a lot of women are and I was spread too thin and I was trying to get kids everywhere and I was trying to earn money. So in that sense, I was both the driver and the rider, you know, I needed all of it. There was no service for children under eighteen. Um, it was crap. Than-
0: it was. It was a, before I had a, yeah. an, a a a son who hurt his leg at school, and he's at school in St Kilda, and I'm right. at the other side of the city. Yeah. And I sent a taxi driver to go and get him, and he didn't get him. And I said, "Oh my God, where is he?" And he said, "He wasn't waiting." So I left. That's right. It's like you can't do that with children.
1: Don't care. Yeah. Well, look, some do and some (laughs) don't. I should be very careful. But, you know, there's there's just not that level of attentiveness because I guess there's no, you know, they don't have the working with children checks. There's perhaps not the same level of interest going on because they don't identify so much with the passenger that they're picking up. So, you know, we made it very personalized, the whole experience, and you can book the trips a whole month ahead. You can book the same driver. Yeah, it's the and same again. driver thing.
0: I think is really important. But yeah. tell me, the, but was there a moment in all of that mishmash of jobs and trying to juggle the kids and everything that you went? I'm going to set up a service because there's not, there isn't one.
1: Yeah, I just decided on the 19th of April, 2016, driving back from my divorce lawyer that I was going to. I'd been thinking about this and thought I'm going to do it. I'm going, and I'd called it Mum's Taxi. And in my head and um, – which sort of says what it was trying to do. Which it is, does, you know, yeah, yeah. Which exactly. is commodify this labour and, you know, formalise it. And it was a weird time because Uber was still illegal in Victoria. It was illegal in Queensland. It was illegal everywhere except New South Wales. Um right. So I was going to start the business in New South Wales, but I had to get an exemption under the Equal Opportunity Act to offer an all-female offering and – that was meant to take me 10 days and then it was going to take 10 weeks and ended up taking 10 months. Um, wow. So in the interim, Victoria uh, legitimized or decriminalized, whatever you want to call it, um, Uber, and yeah. so did Queensland. So we ended up of opening in both Melbourne and Brisbane and Gold Coast and – started in New South Wales later. So Isn't yeah, that weird. A lot but happened. It was all
0: it was just absolutely meant to be. But I'm still intrigued as to was the you know, what was it that made you even think about doing this? I, I understand that there was your own family thing, but also you why
1: you well, know, I was looking you have at being a driver. had no
0: background in, in taxis No, I don't. Or driving and I just, of.
1: no, I didn't. Um, I think I was, <laughs> it's
0: just a big thing to think of. And it's yeah, so friggin' clever.
1: I, but I suppose so had been being a comedian. I guess in my life, I'd made a lot of big moves. Um, I'd never really made small moves. I didn't have one kid. I had four. <laughs> I didn't just, you know, do, you know, I didn't just start stand up comedy. I, you know,
0: I don't know. I guess
1: everything. You I, just got
0: that brain. You are a, absolutely an entrepreneur.
1: Well, I went in, you know, I went all in. Um, when I did stand up, I kind of, you know, got to be best new, you know, dominated best newcomer at the comedy festival. The first year I did it, like it sort of, um, you know, if I go it's in, I go, I go all in and, um, I sort of thought this is an idea that's waiting to happen. And I guess what was killing me was the idea that if somebody else did it, I would be really, really, really Spewing. pissed off.
0: Yeah. yeah, and Really pissed off. Okay, so you alluded to the fact you've had a stand-up career and I know it's been just from having had you on the show, yeah. I, I, you kind of blew my tiny mind <laughs> with all the stuff. So now we've got a lot more time. Can you tell me how George McEncroe, when she finished school, probably didn't think I want to run a company like this. No. So how the hell has it all happened? Take um, me on the journey.
1: <laughs> oh well, I mean, I think more by misadventure than any design. Um, I think. Uh, well, how did it all happen? I guess you know, I started off wanting to be a school teacher. Um, right. I wanted. To, uh, look, that's not true. I wanted to do comedy at school, and I was pretty really? fu- funny at school. Yeah, I did want to get on the stage but it seems silly
0: and ridiculous and no one really does that and I always think you've just got to be incredibly brave to do that because uh, the fear of rejection is pretty high I would have thought in, yeah. in a stand-up comedian the first time anyway
1: yeah I think there was that but it was also like something that other people did you know yeah right. and it was a bit um it was a bit up yourself and. You know, who do you think you are, you know? So of,
0: Okay, so you started off school teaching instead. Yeah, so I did that. Um, kind of like stand-up in a different way?
1: Yeah, well, of, <laughs> I sort of went out of school and I worked in disabilities for six years while I did my undergraduate degree in arts and I right. was then got my first sort of real interest in, I guess, looking at advocacy and looking at... Um, were, you know, speaking out on behalf of other people as well. So that was a really interesting time and looking at innovation and looking at how, and even at transport too. So nothing is really wasted. A lot of the things that I learned about transport and, um, you know, logistics and innovation happened in that disability sector
0: way back then. And whoever would have thunk, as they say, that you would have ended up with your own company.
1: Well, yeah, but also that those learnings about how, the taxi industry moves and how you go to voice Christ. your issues and who it's considering it at its heart and how you register complaints and what data gets collected and what data doesn't get collected and all that and you stuff. You knew all of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, who, who matters and who doesn't? I suppose that was sort of of interest to me back then. So I was interested in that. And I was also very interested back then. I also joined a committee called, um, you know, we were investigating part of the War Crimes Tribunal. So I became an investigator for the War Crimes Tribunal.
0: That's that's so out there. Can I just say, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've got the chance to say that on TV, but like, oh my God, who goes from school teaching into war crimes? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it like, sounds so big and global.
1: Yeah, well, it was. We had our first, It was. it was the first permanent War Crimes Tribunal set up that was sort of in a you know, not set up by the victors post a conflict. So, you know, you'd had the Nuremberg trials and, you know, that's always set up by the winners to punish the losers, if you like. And and this court was to set up to remain permanently in place. So they're currently still sorting through the Rwandan trials and and one of the things that I was really adamant about then and I still am just as passionate about is that rape at that point, was not yet a war crime. So there are things like stealing cattle was a war crime, but rape wasn't. And that
0: so hard to believe these days now that now that it yeah. is a war crime that it ever was acceptable. So Never it was, was just a byproduct of war. You That's know, it. like it's if you were a woman, you're going to get raped. badly. luck happens.
1: Yeah, right. So it's like no, unbelievable. I think we can get through conflict, and we can designate all sorts of other crimes that your house can get burnt down. That's seen as a war crime, but we can also see that human beings uh, are not fodder, you know, they're non-legitimate targets. So so I'd worked in that as well. So, yeah, so going back, you know, I'd done the school teaching, couldn't get a job here in Australia, so I went and taught in Istanbul for a year. As you do, Istanbul.
0: (laughs) What? Why Istanbul?
1: Uh, Because there were no jobs here in Australia and it was so we had the big crash in 87 in 91 I'd graduated I'd already worked in disabilities for six years I was like I cannot do any more work in disabilities my back is just caning you know I've just smashed it I've got to just broaden my horizons I've got to get in front of a classroom you know so I'll go and teach in an international school and I was just ready you know to have an adventure and um and this job came up. I was just walking down the street in Sydney Road and I'd been on the dole for about a week. <laughs> I thought I'll have it some time on the dole. I'd never been unemployed since I was like 14. I'd always had a job and I was like, this is it. It's going to be my, you know, time to have a week. I'm going to be given some
0: money once for once. Yeah. for yeah. Money, You know, and, working.
1: And got this job and a week later I was packing my bags and off to Turkey and I, I couldn't have even pointed to it on a map and
0: um, No, that's amazing. And on top yeah. of that, I mean my impression of Istanbul and I lived in London for a long time and people go there, but it's not super friendly for single women on their own and I imagine back then it was worse. Or the other
1: term might be Really, really overly friendly to single women on their own.
0: <laughs> that is another way of looking yeah, at it. A right. very positive spin. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it
1: was hard going in that sense. I carried a very big nappy pin um, in my in my hand all the time on public transport and would jam it into anything that felt. Tumescent, um, that was right. pushing up against me. <laughs> oh, Anything God, that felt bulbous that. and tumescent Ew. was deflated very quickly. Um,
0: yes, I bet that worked really well. But yeah, yeah well, I mean, how amazing. So, I mean, when you go and be a school teacher in Istanbul and you're from Australia, and was this your first time out of Australia?
1: No, I'd gone to India for a couple of months when I was oh, okay. 18, um, with my little sister. I don't know what my parents were thinking, letting me do that really we were just clueless idiots we were just running around that country just terrified and just no idea what what the hell was going on but we survived that I think I like to do very like I said you know I like to do big things and then challenging things yeah come, come back and I would sort of thought if I can get through India alone um as a kid I'll probably be all right you know so um, and how
0: right you were. So yeah, because yeah, I just wonder whether you're just dumped in Istanbul or are you given a house? And... I
1: was given a really cute little flat and oh cool,
0: and some friends.
1: Um, well, we made friends with these expats, but they were all married couples. That was sort of a bit strange. Um, and then I made friends with people from Canada and Scotland. Yeah, all over. And my poor students who learned English from you know this woman with the thickest Glaswegian accent and then this woman (laughs) from the south from you know straight from Alabama. I kind
0: of love it though you know when you meet people and English isn't their first language and the first time I ever really noticed it was on Bjork you know that she's got a real North London accent yeah like it's really like yeah no worries like and you just kind of go oh my god and then I find it hilarious now when I see people and it's not their first language and somebody obviously Irish or Scottish or something has taught them and they oh, have that accent.
1: So it's so funny. Like these these poor kids and I'm recording them once their alphabet and then listening to it back and this is my whole you know equivalent to the year eight class and then saying back to me i bay say day. And just going, <laughs> oh my
0: god what have i done to these poor people oh gorgeous <laughs> well, that's okay we've got the aussie accent over in istanbul now so um, what happened after that what was the next step in your journey so
1: then i came back and started my master's in bioethics because I was very interested in
0: I know ridiculous you are hilarious honestly this is so funny I wasn't expecting this bioethics of course when you've been a school teacher and, well, a, and you know yes
1: yeah, so I wanted to I was very interested in um ethics and philosophy and you know sort of the, a right way to live you know and um particularly the ethics we hadn't yet mapped the genome and so I suppose this sort of went back to my time in disabilities as well. So there was a lot of interest and, you know, people who had decided about what sorts of lives people with disabilities should
0: leave. And and also maybe to an extent the, the rape trials because in, in some yeah. way that's about biology and ethics as well.
1: Absolutely, and how government should spend money. And these were sort of endlessly interesting questions. You know, if you are – writing policy on, you know, if you have $100,000, does that get devoted to 25 um, incubators for newborn babies or 175 hip replacements? You know, it's like, where do we decide what has wow. worth? And so these are endlessly interesting questions to me. They are,
0: they are, I so, can see that.
1: Um, yeah, I I was fascinated by that. Um, so that's, I went to look at, at doing that. So I got a year into that, and then I got a job at a school and I became just soaked up in the school. I became... A fully-fledged well, teacher. Yeah, and, and the head of student well-being very quickly. And then I was directing the school musical and, you know, just eating that up. So I thought I'll get back to actually doing Is my thesis. Is this in Melbourne? Yeah. Then, that was, you in Melbourne then? Yeah, yep. I was teaching at um, Ivanhoe Grammar. So that right. was just a full-on intense year. Um, and I was there for about five years and then I very quickly... Got married, had kids, um, and
0: the that, juggle starts. The juggle
1: starts. <laughs> the juggle starts, and you know, I had four kids in sort of five and a half years. So I don't
0: know why. Sucker for punishment. What can I say? Why <laughs> I don't? I really don't know why I do. Yeah, so. <laughs> Seems like a good, it's great having babies. I love them. I mean, it it's packed? only 20 years later that you go, wow, they last a long time that you've got to yeah, look after really
1: them. they really do. And then they gang up like wolves. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Haven't quite had that yet. I've only got one who's old enough to gang. The twins who my younger ones are are definitely oh, not quite at that stage yet. Cute. So what happened after that? So, so you've then, done your school.
1: Yes, yeah, so I. I really love teaching and then I, they wouldn't let me come back part-time. So that was a bit... Huh, that's a shame. Um, So I started writing for the Age newspaper, and I wrote this piece that I thought would be just a bit of fun. Um, And I actually hand wrote it and walked up to the walked up to the news agency and faxed it to the editor, and then rang him and said, "You're showing your age now." I I know because we we (laughs) didn't have I didn't have a computer, and so this would have been 1999. And, um, uh, yeah, I couldn't send it on, you know, on a file or anything. And I called him on the landline. I didn't have a mobile phone. And he said, yeah, we'll we'll print it. And it was $1,000. They paid $1,000 in those days for an unsolicited manuscript. Um, that's showing my age, man. And um, <laughs> I thought, oh, but now can I just say a
0: thousand? I think there's a lot of journalists that'd be very happy to get a thousand dollars for an article these days. You don't
1: get it. You just don't. Like they used to pay a dollar a word, and then it was fifty mm. cents, and, and now they
0: do about five cents a word or something. Yeah, that's
1: fifteen if you're lucky. So anything I couldn't sell to the Age, and look, and this was an interesting, I suppose, a little bit of entrepreneurialism, I guess, was. I went, would go to the News Age, and I would just look at what's selling and I would just sort of think, oh, they all need material all the time. They all need copy. I'll just, I'll sell, I sold things to Men's Health. I sold things to sports magazines. I sold things to.
0: So what would you do? Just look at all the covers and go, that's pretty much the topics they're covering. I'll do something like that. And I I I tell that to people now. I mean, you know, go out and find out what people are writing on your topic because that's what they want to know.
1: Everyone needs material. They need content all the time and they're lazy and if you can write something right now That's right. for Valentine's Day Mother's and even these Day. days
0: it's not even just that they're lazy they're so short-handed i think they're if short-handed. Can send them something that they can cut and paste and put in yeah get the spelling right
1: make it short sharp and cheerful so you became and... a
0: journalist well part-time. essentially
1: yeah like a, a, a contributor a columnist i don't know what you call it and um and doing some tutoring. I'd kept tutoring kids in English and stuff. And then I decided to be even more economical and start doing stand-up because instead of writing something new all the time, I could just write something once and do it over and over again. And that's That's when I... a really
0: interesting way of looking stand-up. That's not what I think at all. It's <laughs> more about how are you going to be that funny? How oh, did no, you even come funny. up with jokes and uh, things? <laughs> I just thought
1: here's a way to do it. In a short, sharp It's So ballsy, I love it. (laughs) Well, I knew I had to do three minutes, and I've been and seen a lot of people who weren't that good, and were doing really well. Um, I said, "Oh look, I'll give it a, I'll kick myself if I have a crack." And I think you only regret being gutless. Like, well, for me, you know, cowardice is a thing you regret, not. There's not much else you sort of
0: regret, really. You're right. Just giving it a go and, and it not working doesn't make you feel bad. It's the not giving it a go. Like you said with Uber, if someone else had done it, it would have killed you. So you've just got to give it a go and see whether it is your shtick, assess, yes. I guess. Have a How long did you do that for? Uh,
1: well, I still do it now, really. But I guess I did it for about um, six months and then I got a spot. I got um, seen by a guy from Osterio, who said, would you like to come and do a spot in, um, you know, try out for Breakfast Radio because there's a spot going in uh, in Brisbane and we'd really like, you know, you to make up the breakfast team. And so I auditioned. And Did I you got- go,
0: oh, my God, had you know, like I can't <laughs> believe this has happened to me yeah, at the it time? Yeah, was,
1: it was sort of good timing because, you know, I'd had – four kids by then, and, you know, we were pretty ready for a change. So, yeah, we went up.
0: breakfast radio is a whole other thing, isn't it, getting up at three in the morning or something?
1: Well, the irony was the youngest of my children, Toby, had just started sleeping through the night. So it was like, yeah, God had decided I'm never going to sleep again and that was that (laughs) Sleep was not my friend. So, yeah, 3 a.m., we had to be in the studio by about 10 to 4
0: so what would you do? Feed the baby, put him back to bed, and then basically oh, was, just get in the car. Two,
1: he was too. He was eating like you know steaks by then. Okay. He was a huge unit. <laughs> okay. um, so no, I just would get up and go, and then I'd be home by about ten a.m. and um,
0: and that's it for the day until the next day.
1: Yeah, but
0: you. Oh, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it was a bit funny though. The first shift I did, I remember Tim Smith. I got met it with him in the lift, and he said, "Yeah, it's just the end of all your tomorrows," and I was like, "Oh." Thanks, Tim. What does that 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 mean? (laughs) Well, you just – you are always counting sleep when you do breakfast radio. Like you get invited to all these amazing events and all these – Openings and premieres, and you'd be like, oh my god, there's Hugh Jackman. Oh my god, there's you know so and so. Oh my god, there's, and you just be thinking. And oh. then you
0: go, oh, it's seven thirty. Time for yeah. me to go home to bed. And I've
1: got to be up at three a.m. I
0: actually have always said, you know, I, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to do breakfast radio or breakfast anything because no. it just starts too early.
1: And it just it it really does mess with your head,
0: yeah yeah it really does but make... it's got it's got a cachet around it I mean you know and you reach a huge audience through radio you do so...
1: and it is fun it is fun I think if you didn't have to go home to four little kids it would be a lot more fun
0: <laughs> but like now yeah yeah, yeah. If you teenagers or adults yeah. that have moved up You're and out of home it would be come
1: home and have an afternoon sleep or you know do that sort of thing but yeah it was it was a pretty it was pretty Challenge. tough but yeah so fun. how long do you do that for uh, four and a half years. So I did three years of Triple M and then I did a year and a half on Mix in Melbourne and then I got sacked on April Fool's Day and I actually thought it was a joke. So I was, <laughs> I was, um, it was, I was about to open my first, um, ever one woman show for the comedy festival, um, the Georgina Monologues and Tom Gleason had gone out to get me a coffee and when he came back, um, I was being walked to the car park. He still had his coffee in his hand. Oh, and my were, God. It's
0: awful, isn't it? In fact, there's um, for anyone that's listening, where are we? We're in early September. And the editor of Mumbrella, did you read that? Um, Valen, uh, I think her name is Valentina. I'm not actually sure. Wrote a great article about what it's like as an editor to have your boss go, we're just going to have a quick call this morning. And, and she, when she went into the call, the lawyer was there as well. And they went, we love what you've done, but you're out. And then she's escorted out of the building like a criminal. And you just go, my God, they, there has to be a better way of making people redundant. Why do they have to do it like that? It's so oh, no, ridiculous. It's all humiliation and, and shame, isn't it, really? It's so ridiculous. It was so stupid.
1: Um, and to also wait for me to have done the whole show, like I just thought, oh, come on,
0: guys. Like Yeah, revolting. of you know, me. <laughs> Um, but... So did it really affect you though at first? I mean, did you just go, oh my God, I'm hopeless? Or did you go stuff them, their they're lost," kind of thing? Look, what it was, was the attitude? Of, it
1: ended up being kind of good publicity for my show because, you know, then Tony Martin and Will Anderson and Judith Lucy and all these people had all been sacked from commercial radio all... They all texted
0: you and went, you're not a real comedian until you've been fired from <laughs> That's radio. That's right,
1: and they all got interviewed <laughs> by the age. and um, So that was all kind of fun. And, look, you know, I was sort of relieved to be out.
0: Well, um, yeah, those hours. Imagine fun, finally being able to go to bed at like 10 o'clock at night oh, and wake at 7 in the morning. Especially
1: doing your first ever, you know, full season, 23 shows back-to-back back of the comedy festival and, you know, being able to stay. Oh, was that out at the and, same time? Yeah. Yeah, that was the opening night. I had to get on stage that night and perform. So <laughs> it was, it was pretty, it was pretty ouchy. Um, but I bet, you know, again, it just,
0: Hey, you wouldn't be where you are today if that hadn't happened. So let's, That's so what, exactly was, what right. came after that? So you go, shit, lost that job. What's next?
1: Lost that job. And then, yeah, then I did a fair bit of writing. So I put together a few collections of things for, you know, the quite a few books, um, that I, you know, was, editing or collections of did a few series for the wheeler center um and did quite a bit of teaching um so still you know doing keeping a very good hand in that kind of work then got uh did a big renovation of the house then got divorced then had a brain aneurysm. There must
0: be something about renovating a house that ends up in divorce. I yeah, it's either one or the other. You're either going to divorce and go right, I'm going to freshen up the house, or it's yeah. going to end be the end of the marriage. Yeah, and that's... then did you just say a brain aneurysm? As yeah, you did? then I had
1: this series of headaches that there that ended up. Um, they it was an incidental find, but I'm very lucky that I you know very finally lucky. got an MRI and went. This is you know this brilliant doctor, but that very deadpan style that um, highly intelligent neurologists have who just have a look at it and said, hmm, no, you need to make your way home, uh, get your affairs in order, and I'll see you in theatre tomorrow morning at 6.30. This is a berry aneurysm that's um, seven millimetres or whatever it was.
0: Um, it's- Did you go, I don't want to go home. Can I just stay here and you do it now, please?
1: <laughs> well, you know, he said you'll be probably be okay. But the worst thing was I, God. my daughter was doing year 12 and we had the house on the market and it was just like, Oh God, could it just be any more shit? Yeah. Um, geez. So yeah. So that, that was that.
0: That's a pretty low point. So what yeah. happened is, is, is she becoming very close on the heels of. Yeah. So then we, then we
1: moved and then I started, you know, doing all the bitsy work. Um, so Pam Barnes, who was the EP at the Circle, got yep. me a, um, a job writing for Family Feud, and I was writing questions for the Chase, and I was teaching at TAFE at night and running around, and um, I agreed, you know, that I'd start trying to get my savings together to try and get a loan for a house, and um, I just kept getting knocked back and knocked back, and I thought, okay. I'll Read the Barefoot Investor from cover to cover, and I was filling in on the ABC for Richard Stubbs, and then I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll get his job, and that went to Claire Bowditch. And I was like, oh, God. Anyway, that's okay. I'll, you know, I'll get there,
0: and um, you know. Sorry, I'm just going to stop you there, yeah. and just say for anyone that is listening, this is the classic entrepreneur. Your journey is so like mine, but it's also like when shit happens. Yeah. Instead of going oh, my God, you go, okay, I'll get through this and then I'll start planning what I'm going to do after that. And it just sounds like each time you get knocked down to your knees, you just dust yourself off and you go, okay, what next? Keep going, yep. And also, like, where are my footy shorts? Where are my jocks? Where's my
1: socks? (laughs) Where's them, you know? It's all the stuff that's happening in between, you know. It's like, you know, just you've got to just keep managing the crew. Like, you've got in this time, you've got four kids who are, I know, you can't unfortunately
0: say to them, listen, guys, I'm going to take a month off being a mum Yeah, because I, just... I need to just sort some stuff out yeah. and then I'll be a better when I come back. Yeah. It just doesn't work like I'll that. I'll put you
1: on pause um, while I just be don't nice, have a little meltdown. It not happen. And, yeah, no. Nah, um, it's still like, what's for dinner? Have you seen my socks?
0: So once you came up with the idea of Sheba, yeah. how do you take the idea and start making it into a reality? What did you do?
1: I took it to a GoFundMe page. And, oh, right. Straight it, away. Straight away. So I wanted to see whether it had legs and it certainly did. Like that was really apparent. And I found my first investment. No, well,
0: tell me what happened. Well, how do you know? Like what happened? Well, with it the got Go a lot of, a huge
1: amount of media and it got a lot of comments and a lot of financial support. Like within, I wrote all the press releases about what I wanted to do. So I was on, you know, sunrise and, um, all the radio stations. Yeah. That's also, for, you know, the women's only thing. Do we really need it? Blah, blah, blah. I got a lot of hate as well. Um, but that was... And
0: what did you do with the hate? Just ignore it?
1: Yeah, just sort of took it on. Just kind of, you know, this is where being a philosopher, I suppose, helps a bit. Just saying, you know, Firmwood Gym doesn't make men fat. Sheba doesn't make men unsafe. Not taxis. Yeah, like you've got all your options, guys. This is just one place where women can travel and call your jets and if you can tell me how it makes men unsafe I'll shut it down tomorrow and all you'd hear are these flapping gums like (laughs) you'll be okay like there's more I'm not I don't hate men like it's so interesting to me you can we people watch male panels all the time and they don't assume that all those men hate women but if you get four women on a panel men will constantly say oh they must hate men
0: and it's it's just it's just ridiculous, you know. It's so it, it was I had a conversation with someone about it last week where I was saying you can't you don't have you shouldn't have to say I'm a feminist or I want equality for women and then follow it almost immediately with but that doesn't mean I hate men and we all do it. And yes. that's just those weird I mean and most guys know that they want to support women as well. Absolutely. It's just i am going to say it, oh, I feel
1: sorry for your sons and I go why? Like they understood it immediately that yes. my daughter has a very different experience on the streets and in Ubers and on trains than they do. Of course. They and any other guys, if they're honest with themselves, know that to be true
0: as well. Of course Um, they do. Of course they do. Enough said. But thank goodness. So the first thing was you you, uh, you do do the the GoFundMe and you had a whole lot of love from that.
1: A lot of love from that and lots of people, especially with parents, with children, again, with adult children with disabilities saying, this would be amazing. I would love to know that I had, you know, a a woman to drive my child, my son or my daughter, you know, to or from um, their day placement or from their residential housing to wherever they're to work. Um, We're getting older, they're on the NDIS. I can never get the same cab driver on repeat um, you know, these are the sorts of things and lots of working mums and dads saying I desperately want a driver for my children um, and a lot of women saying, you know, I've finished work at 11 o'clock or you know, lots of um, international students who say, you know, my parents make me feel so guilty about the fact that I want to do my PhD and my mother's always sending me her blood pressure you know, on the daily <laughs> Because I'm studying, and I'm made to feel like I'm a selfish child, um, because I, you know, I'm doing my residence in medicine, um, and I, she knows I leave the hospital <laughs> late at night. You know, it's it's so interesting the cultural anxieties we all absorb just for being humans, um, and it gets dark, and we yeah. we modify our behaviour. Um, from and the other thing that with... I love
0: about the Uber drivers, uh, the the Sheba drivers, is that. They will stick around and just check that you've got into the house safely. Always. That's just a real thing for me. Yeah. And, and you know that a dry, a taxi driver just dumps you basically and they're, yeah. they're dust at the end of the street yeah. before you've even kind of, you yeah, know, walked to the other yeah, side of the, the, the car, car
1: tires screeching out. That's right. Fish it's tailing, like, she's gone.
0: Right <laughs> on to the next one. Whereas yes. I just think it is so important that you make sure that they put the key in the door that they get in safely. Those kind of just that's, little small things. It
1: is, and that's what you know. That's why you know, as a driver myself, you know, we started with it, you know, everyone on the same page. It's like how would I want to be treated myself? And the number of our passengers who've become drivers and um, is quite high. You know, they. Experience at the I get it. I totally
0: get it. I think,
1: yeah, yeah. Get called in to, you know, and you get called in to do up a young woman's dress before a night out, or get asked to send a photo of the kids in their, um, you know, book club costumes, or you know, or deb
0: outfits, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a really. And I also think, from the point of view of, and let me just say that it's not always me. But certainly in my youth, it probably was that I would go out and get absolutely shit faced, yeah, and be very worried about getting into a taxi that the taxi driver could yeah. do something to you. And you hear this in the media all the time, yeah, you do. And so the knowing that you've got another woman who goes, "Oh, you've had a big night," I get it, you know, you've had a night with the girls for whatever reason, yeah, and and you know that you're safe. I think is super super important. Oh
1: well, it, it is, and I think this is the the whole problem with the industry is that. You know, if you are a predatory type of person, um, it's a perfect industry for you to float in. And yeah, and this is something that was very clear working in the disability sector and I think it's the same in aged care. Where there are vulnerable people, you will find predatory people. And um, sadly, there aren't enough safety measures in place to get them out. And... Um, We, you know, we have to do more as a whole sector in transport to make sure people are safe, especially if they can't speak for themselves, whether that's because they're momentarily incapacitated or permanently incapacitated. Um, we have to be very, very careful about you know making sure people get home safely and I don't think anything like enough has been done to ensure no I would, I would agree I would agree
0: but boy oh boy have you made a massive change I mean that's yeah. a, a humongous change so I'm still a little bit interested in how you go from an idea to okay. sort of setting it up so you get the GoFundMe. me what happens so
1: then I I decided to put in you know all my money to build yeah. an app and I met through the GoFundMe page, a very serious investor. And he put in, he matched me pretty much in his investment. And that's where we built, uh, we designed an app. And we, that's the big expense was the, you know, essentially you need. The
0: infrastructure. The
1: infrastructure, the tech and the marketing, and then designing what was going to go in it and how we were going to, you know, what were going to be the fundamental principles of the company and how we were going to scale it from there. And and that's what we've been doing ever since,
0: you know. And doing incredibly well. I mean, it's it really is a fantastic story. So... Um... Talk to me. Well, just first before we move on, I'm, next I'm going to ask you about any women that may have helped you along the way. Only because this is a show yeah. about women in business, sure. and there's a heap of women out there that talk about the awful women that cut, you know cut them off. So I do like if there has been some nice women in your life that you yeah. share it. But first, how big is Sheba now?
1: Uh, well, we're national, and we have. How many drivers have you got? Uh, look that really depends um oh.
0: <laughs> on... I thought that would be a really easy question what about employees or like no how big because is it, because it it's a
1: casual you know it's a they um they're sole traders so at the moment during covid they they they're drivers who are taking themselves offline and online yeah. so um we have about 285,000 passengers with the oh my god app. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of that's passengers. Huge. Yeah. And so, it's like on. And, a, and, a, you know, a couple of thousand drivers at the moment who are active. Amazing. Um, and then there's more who are sort of sitting at various stages of
0: pending. And have you got plans to go global? Is this going to be a new Uber? Are you going to really just crack it overseas or is it um, your idea is only well, for look, Australia? We, would,
1: we, we have plans to go international, but, um, global might be, um, you know, I'd love to see every woman in the world with this option. Um, mm. But whether it's Sheba or, you know, something else, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And, and also, you know, there's only a limit to, to your, um, energy levels and things. That's so maybe right. at some stage it's, you'll be franchising it and people yeah. will be buying it off you and yeah. running it overseas. Yeah. All right. So now talk to me about, and it doesn't matter if there haven't been any, but particularly on the Sheba journey, have there been any women that have really helped you that you, you know, are worth mentioning? And if so, how have they helped you?
1: Oh, look, there have been so many. I mean, I think, you know, everyone from like Sarah Stewart, who's my, um, general manager, but COO now. Um, there have been people who have just given me great financial advice. Um, there's another Sarah, um, Sarah Grace uh, Warboys, who's just brilliant. Um, Cherie Rubenstein from One Roof, who's just been, you know, incredibly oh, helpful. Fantastic. Oh, I love hearing this. Inspiring. I mean, because, just because a, I... Every day. Sorry. Yeah, just yeah, every no, day.
0: I, yeah. I often hear that, you know, you hear that in corporate land, the women can be really horrible. But I have always stood by the fact that in small business and entrepreneur land, oh, I think no. the women are incredibly supportive. And I had um, one of my podcast guests said to me last week, because she used to say to me, I don't know where you find these women, Jules, or what, you know, planet you're on. But women are not always like that. And then she admitted to me the other day and she said everything changed when she went into small business land. And she said when she set up her business women have been so supportive. So oh. I mean I see it all the time. Oh, my other director, Yumi
1: Steins, who's the other director of, you know, um, Sheba, who's just been incredibly supportive and all the oh, other wonderful. comedy mates who when I first started and I didn't have any budget to market, you know, everyone from Gretel Colleen to Michelle Laurie, Cal Wilson, um they push it all out Geraldine for you. Hickey, Celia Picola. I mean they just all of them just doing you know, little mentions for me, wishing people happy Christmas on my Facebook page. Like just incredibly supportive of Oh, I'm so pleased to hear done. that. Yeah.
0: So along the way, have there been any pivotal moments that you thought, oh my God, this is a disaster. It's all gonna we're gonna no, it's all gonna end. There's one. And way. then you've learned from it? <laughs> and if so <laughs> And if so, what sort of tips can we offer any other women about how to, you know, be resilient, I guess, and bounce back from Shit stuff happening.
1: Yeah, look, I think, I think there's usually about, there is really one about one a week. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. There is. There's there's a (laughs) lot of moving parts to, um, to accompany the size of Sheba because, you know, the legislation started moving through so fast and there's so much of it. And especially in a period like COVID, you know, where, you know, we're little and we have, Two people in our compliance department, and we are across, you know, five states and two territories, and um, they're all managing COVID and different rules for different airports and hotels and pickups and you know schools and
0: yeah, right. um,
1: all those things. So. You, did you yeah. have a
0: moment when they first locked everyone down and you thought God that's it, that's the end of the business? Or did you always yeah. think now there's yeah. gonna be ways we can do things? Oh
1: I was scared. I mean we, we put out Sheba drops within about three days.
0: And what's Sheba Drop?
1: Um, it's a delivery service. So, right. you know, you can still use that to to transport items. But yeah, we were terrified and you know, we had to let um we've lost four staff um, it's been very tough. We had to, t- I had to take a 50% pay cut. Um, we've moved out of our office. I mean, that, you know, that
0: was big st- stuff. Yeah. Big
1: stuff. We've had to cut costs very, very fine. You know, the staff remaining, uh, part time on JobKeeper.
0: It's, but you have such a groundswell of support that I think even if you did, everyone would just prop you up, hopefully. Oh, well, and, yeah. and keep you going. And, and please God, we're out of this soon.
1: Yeah. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. And receiving JobKeeper has really helped, but it's, we, you know, we've copped it. It's, um, yeah. without people going to airports, I think the whole transport sector has really, has really copped it. But yeah, we're and not as much as
0: the airport sector oh, or the God, airplane no. sector.
1: Absolutely not. But. Yeah, those big industries feed a lot of other industries and um, you forget how interconnected those things are. Um, but, yeah, I think when th- when when you land on your ass and you think this is devastating, I think just, just put your head between your knees and breathe. I think the other great piece of advice is, you know, never talk to anyone who can't solve your problem, you know. Um, there's... There's a difference between sort of getting help and just whinging. Um, yeah, really, yeah, true. it's seek out someone who can actually solve your problem. And when you're dealing with sort of big bodies like government bodies, or um, just talk to someone, get on the phone and just front foot problems. There's very few things that can't be solved with a good, hard conversation.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. All right. Now let's go into a bit, little bit of the work-life balance thing that I always ask all <laughs> the women, because we are juggling a lot, but more from, because it's your own business, I think with a lot of women, it's such a passion yeah. that really the line is blurred because some, as some of them say to me, what else would I do? This is what I love to do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's part of me, but how do you, how, how are you juggling? Like, do you have a i have my evenings and my weekends or does it all blur into an ongoing thing
1: um look i i don't balance very well i thought i was but the feedback from <laughs> the from the choir from the children is that i don't balance very well i've started to do more um in the last year probably year and a half you know walking away you know getting up earlier Exercise.
0: But you're not doing four days a week or anything like that yet?
1: No, no, no. But I don't work all weekend anymore um, and I certainly, you know, don't drive as much on the weekends or, you know, things like that which was just –
0: Ridiculous. So are you a sheba driver as yeah. well as running the organisation? Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. What a great way to actually know exactly what the issues are. You've
1: got to, right? You know, Perfect. About,
0: um... No, but I would think that there's a heap of men out there running massive organisations that don't think, I'm going to go and fix photocopiers or I'm going to go and do whatever so I really understand it. And they bloody well should. Yeah, you should. Uh, Eat your own yeah, you should. That's You
1: know, it's a good idea. Um, cool. But yeah, I think it's uh it has its limitations so I think I've always been annoyed by the work-life balance thing because I think for I know it's a terrible sentence isn't it clean the bloody dunny um so yeah I think I need to always work on it and be mindful of your own
0: well-being and your own health and stuff so um that's not yeah and and if you have got family around you and you're lucky enough to have people going "Uh uh-uh you think you're doing a good job you're not Uh, It does make you sort of realise that maybe there's, you know, things, changes that you can make. What about, and I don't know whether you've got one of these, but is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing?
1: A funny fact. I think um, that I used to do liturgical dancing when I was. What even is that? It's when you're in, like I was a prefect at school, but (laughs) I went to a very Catholic school and I used to be able to dance. You know, I loved Dancing on the altar, and you'd wear these silk things and dance <laughs> out the gospels. Too. <laughs> um, never
0: even heard of that. Yeah,
1: and um, I have a great great uncle Frank Macanro who invented the Chico roll. So there's a bit of entrepreneurial.
0: Oh, that's a great great fact. That's, that's a good a, fact. That, to that, have. That's the best. Sorry, that wins. Yep, I love the wins. liturgical dancing, but yep. I don't understand it. But yep. the Chico roll—that's a Chico good roll. One. That... My brother's. My brother's ad agency worked on the Chico Roll last year and did a campaign where you could buy a plastic hand that fitted in your cup holder that that held your Chico Roll for you. Perfect. That's
1: perfect. Well, Frank (laughs) McEncroe designed it so that the pastry was thick enough that you could hold it and eat at the footy. Um, And, uh, yeah, beer in one hand and Chico in the other.
0: There you go. Product design right from the the, – granddaughter or great-granddaughter yeah okay now last but not least and I don't know whether this is even relevant to you but I love it myself so I always talk about it with everyone I'm obsessed with my phone I do all my business on my phone and Mm. I play on my phone as well so I ask everyone what are the two most useful apps on your phone but you're not allowed to say banking or social um, um is there anything left
1: oh <laughs> uh, look i I probably can i say google hangouts
0: is that a social yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Do you, you, i didn't even think that that was still going
1: oh yeah no google hangouts we do all our morning meetings on on google hangouts. oh it's
0: like the zoom alternative isn't it sorry yeah. i was thinking of google plus
1: no right, um, hangouts very cool hangouts is probably a really key one um Slack, can I use Slack? Can I yes. talk about Slack? <laughs> you don't have to ask my permission. Um, yeah, yes, that, Slack. That we use That's another a great lot one um, for project
0: management and, and tasks comms and stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, um, they're probably the top two.
0: most No, they're pretty ones. good ones. Yeah. And then, what about? Do you play on your phone at all? Are you like? Oh a yeah, candy I'm crush a candy. Or... I'm
1: a Candy Crush. Um, Are you, tragic yeah.
0: like me. Yeah. And I bet your kids probably also roll their eyes like I do, and my mind look at me and go. That's really embarrassing, Mum. How many years have you been doing it now? <laughs> oh, years and
1: years and years. Um, and I will
0: never stop because they put on about a thousand new levels every year.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, and of course, that beautiful thing with Candy Crush, we can, which is so frustrating but so good that you can only do five games, so you can't do it for seven hours. That's it. It stops the addicting. You've addict got to stop you. and have yeah. a break.
1: Yeah, it's very addictive, and I love it. Um, but I'm also mad for a podcast
0: too, so you know. Okay. I've, I've just... You'll have to listen to "She's the Boss" chats.
1: I love, especially She's as
0: the... you're going to have an episode. Yeah, great. <laughs> great. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, listen, George. Thank you so much. What a great interview. I've really, really enjoyed it. I'm Pleasure. sure everyone else will as well. Um, if anybody just just tell people how to how to download um, how to download Sheba or yeah, you know, just go to your App be Store. Part of it.
1: Or your Play Store, and um, and it's S
0: H E B A H for anyone that doesn't know. Yes, it.
1: Sheba, as in the Queen of Sheba, who challenged the wisdom of King Solomon. She is the disruptor of the Bible. You cannot take the theologian out of the Catholic schoolgirl. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs>
0: and on that note, thank you. <laughs> Pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app. From any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she's the boss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website so either way I hope you've enjoyed it I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty-gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.